0: Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the music. Everybody have fun tonight. (laughs) Everybody Wang Chung tonight. The movies. Yes!
1: Yes! Yes! Oh! Oh! Oh!
0: I'll have what she's having. And the parties. No one in my family ever drinks.
1: Quiet,
0: you probably never run out of ice your whole life because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Sure, it's not
1: 1985 right now, but who knows what tomorrow
0: will bring? Hey, hey, welcome to Stuck in the 80s. It's your host, Steve Spears. Hey, I'm here alone today, uh, with an apology in hand. It has been almost a month since we released a show, we have. Four shows almost ready to go in some various form of uh, editing process. And uh, if it all goes to plan, hopefully by this weekend you'll have something new. But in the meantime, I was thinking about some of our older shows and which of them are still kind of relevant today. Back in 2009, I interviewed Jack Hughes from Wang Chung. He's the lead singer, co-founder of the band. And the band was touring on the Regeneration tour. And for those of you with long memory, so that's year number four of Stuck in the 80s. That was a tour that went from Las Vegas to Florida. It had Human League, ABC, Belinda Carlisle, Wang Chung. Great, great tour. And as a result of that, I had a chance to talk to Jack. So we talk about a lot of different things. The band's history, uh, their unique name, Uh whether or not they're going to cover some of the songs I love so much, now I want to, I want to set your expectations correctly. This, um, for those who've heard my more recent interviews, they're they're much more polished than this one was. This was one of the very first interviews I did by myself back in those days, and it will show at many many times. But I still enjoy thinking about Wang Chung and my conversation with Jack. They're going to be on the 80s cruise this year in a couple of weeks. They're going to be fantastic. They're also celebrating the 40th anniversary of Points on the Curve, which is their incredible album that has not a bad track on it. So stay tuned for more original content. But in the meantime, enjoy this conversation with Wang Chung's Jack Hughes. Jack Hughes of Wang Chung. Welcome to Stuck in the 80s. Hi,
1: Steve.
0: How are you? Great. Uh, really excited to talk to you today. I've been a, I've been a huge fan ever since uh, Points on the Curve album. Oh, cool. Great. You know, Wang Chung's coming to uh, the U.S. to be on the uh, Regeneration Tour. Uh, yeah, yeah. Starts in Boston on June 17th and wraps up in Atlanta. Have you, have you worked before with some of the other bands on the bill, like ABC and Cutting Crew? Um,
1: no, not those guys. Uh, Berlin, I've done a couple of gigs with, but that was quite a while ago, back in 2000, I think.
0: How long has it been since uh, you've done like a, a fairly long uh, tour of the U.S.?
1: Well, I did one back in 2000. It was just me, though, with an American band, uh, just like, doing a bunch of some of the older stuff and some new songs that I'd written at that point. Uh, but this is the first time that Nick and I have been out since, well, really since sort of 1987, 1988, something like that.
0: So it's like the Mosaic album days. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, big yeah. tour, big tour. I don't want to put any pressure on you, but uh, the main reason that I'm flying up to Chicago to see this show is because of Wang Chung. Okay. (laughs) That's very nice of you to say. Um, And I want to put your mind at ease right now. I swear to God, I am not going to ask you today about the meaning of your band's name. Good, good. (laughs) You've answered that a million times. But but I do kind of want to ask this. I mean, mean, you've been asked that question for like 30 years now. and Has there ever been a time where you said, you know, maybe I should have picked a different name?
1: sounding name uh, just leads everybody onto that question but on the other hand uh i think in the states for whatever reason it's kind of uh got a certain catchy resonance thing and um you know obviously it's been used in all kinds of uh, uh sort of great situations and i'm thinking of the episode of cheers where frazier comes screaming into the bar <laughs> talking about wang chung and uh, I think we've been mentioned in The Simpsons and, you know, there's even greetings cards about Wang Chung and stuff. So uh, I guess I'm looking forward to actually getting in the dictionary with the name. That'll be cool. <laughs> God knows what they're going to put as a definition. but
0: <laughs> It's it's kind of hard to imagine, like you said, that, you know, so many years later, you know, that the phrase, like everybody Wang Chung tonight is sort of like a catchphrase of the 80s. It
1: kind of is, yeah, yeah. And really that was just, uh, you know, I'm... Um, about this, you know, uh, originally that song, Everybody Have Fun Tonight, um, was, you know, Nick Nick came up with this sort of kind of chorus idea, you know, and I really loved it, but I I heard it as very sort of ironic, (laughs) in a way, and and I wrote the song, uh, which actually was uh, used on one of our greatest hits records, uh, the, the demo of Everybody Have Fun Tonight, and if you listen to that, it's really quite a sort of slow, slightly... I, I guess the atmosphere is a bit like Hey Jude, so slightly melancholy, and Hey Jude is probably like my favourite single ever, you know. So every time I'm writing in that sort of direction, you know, it has the long outro and all of that stuff. Uh, but I had that line of Everybody Wang Chunk tonight just as an ad lib in there, you know. But when we started working with Peter Wolf, who produced Mosaic, uh, he was just really into that line and said, No, you've got to incorporate that into the chorus, you know. And, uh,. So I just kind of thought, oh, God, you know, this is not what I meant at all. But, of course, all those reservations seem a bit kind of precious now. And uh, I, I'm kind of glad we went the way we did with it, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, you mentioned the Beatles. And I have to ask, because, I mean, you're really probably the first um, musician of the 80s that I've ever talked to who has a classical music education.
1: I think that sort of, uh, well, probably came out of listening to the Beatles as a kid, really, you know, because I think they... They do send you back to the music all the time you know um and uh and I had sort of uh guitar lessons as a kid, you know i mean I'm not classically trained in the sense that you know i I had classical lessons from a really young age and stuff, but I did get to learn to read music and stuff. And I guess uh, when, I was, uh, when I left school at 18 uh, I wanted to go to university and decided to do music at university. Uh, and that's where the proper sort of classical stuff kicked in, I suppose. But my sense was that uh, a lot of the kids that I was at university with, you know, had been brought up with the classical training and were consequently fairly bored with classical music actually. Whereas for me it was a completely new continent, mm-hmm. you know. And, and I loved that three, four years that I was there. Uh, listening to to all this stuff because you know like Mozart's 40th Symphony and a Schubert String Quintet and all these pieces that most people are utterly bored by were well, for me like really new experiences and uh, it was
0: fabulous really. The um, of course then in the in the seventies especially the late seventies you know punk rock and glam rock sort of you know takes front stage. I mean that that mixing with your studies must have you know mm-hmm. create, created the sound that we kind of know today.
1: music in London, uh, I, I was a bit disillusioned with the, the how inward-looking classical music is, you know, and, uh, and that sort of, that was like the sort of summer of 77, uh, I suppose, that I left there, and that did coincide with the rise of punk and the Sex Pistols, and, uh, and, and I found that really stimulating, you know, and it was probably that, and probably a couple of Bowie albums from that time were the things that really turned me back towards pop music and, and trying, always trying to create this sort of hybrid, in a sense. These sort of extended forms I guess you know I mean with Wang Chung it it, it is pretty straight out pop a lot of it but I think on To Live and Die in LA where we did the soundtrack stuff I got to stretch out a bit there and uh, with some of the songs that we're doing for the regeneration tour we've kind of uh, stretched them out a bit as well and we've got a fabulous band so uh, there should be some quite nice playing for anybody who's (laughs) who's interested that as
0: well as just hearing the old hits you know yeah i you mentioned soundtracks and i I was that was my next question Um, oh great the um in early 1985 um before a lot of people really knew who director john hughes was uh wang chung appears on the soundtrack to the breakfast club with the song fire in the twilight Did you write that specifically for the movie yeah it was um
1: i think uh it was a guy called keith Forcey who was sort of in charge of that project and uh he, he wanted to sort of write with us and wanted to write you know specifically for the movie and uh, i think he was involved in quite a lot of the songs in the movie and he was like the producer and uh we had one of those great rock and roll times with him you know because he was Billy idol's drummer i think at that time and uh you know he was a really uh, Living the life, <laughs> so we got a little taste of that with him, which was fabulous. Yeah.
0: Um, eighty-five was also, of course, the big year for uh, To Live and Die in L.A. How did you get yeah. involved in that project?
1: Well, uh, literally through contact with uh, Bill Freakin', um he had heard Points on the Curve. You know, at that time, uh, he was uh, a director who was really into music. I mean, I think that comes through in all of his movies. Uh, but he would keep his ear to the ground all the time and uh, for whatever reason he got to hear Points on the Curve and particularly loved a tune called Wait on Points on the Curve. It's great and song. he loved the, the tempo of that uh, and the kind of drama of it. And he was using it as a temp track in his rushes of the film. I'm waiting for you But you're very late I know you're going to And I can hardly wait Evidently There's a difficulty. No, I anyway. and I anyway. I anyway. mm, essentially, I think he probably tried somebody to sort of do the score to live and die, um, yeah, uh, and then just. Wasn't happy with it. So he phoned, uh, phoned me up. I got this call. I was at a friend's house in, in in London, quite a sort of... I don't know how he found out, that that's where I was. But, I, you know, this guy's a friend of mine, his phone rang, and there was a voice on the end saying, we've got a call from Los Angeles. Mr. William Freakin would like to speak to Jack Hughes." So I took this call in this friend's flat, you know, and uh, Billy just sort of talked about what he was doing in the movie and said, w- would we be interested in doing it? And, and basically, could we do this score in, like, 10 days, <laughs> Because I guess he's probably fired whoever else was doing it and was up against it. Uh, and I just sort of said yes to that, because you just don't say, we don't think about an offer like that. And Nick and I just went straight in the studio and um, and laid down stuff. And we did all that without actually seeing the movie at all. In fact, I think probably after day five or something, some some rushes came over to us and Nick looked at them, but I couldn't bear to look at it just in case we were really off course. But just having spoken to Billy about it, I had a strong sense of what he wanted. And uh, so we did all the music uh, without seeing the movie and sent it all off to him. And uh, he phoned back in about a week or so and just said, the music's fantastic. You know, uh, come out to L.A. and have a look. And uh, so he flew us out there and we saw the, the opening of the movie, which at that time was uh, that, that great bit, you know, with the sort of palm trees swaying in this kind of storm over that, that sort of uh, industrial bit of Los Angeles, you know, and with the, uh, with the instrumental music playing on it. And uh, I, I just will never forget that. That was one of the, the most thoroughly enjoyable bits of my career, I think, watching the intro to that movie.
0: There's a, there's a rumor out there um, that... He specifically asked you, or specifically told you not to write a song called yeah, To did. Live and Die in LA, <laughs> but you did it anyway. Yes. <laughs> I'm
1: quite good at doing that sort of thing. And, uh, yeah, no, he, he did, didn't want a song, you know, but um, having seen the movie, I sort of went back to London, and I just it really made such a big impact on me that the, 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 the song, and the title track just sort of uh, kind of came out, really, you know, so we recorded it and sent it over to him, and, um, and he kind of loved the song and then completely altered the beginning of the movie to kind of include that song, really. So, um, you know, it just uh, was a, a great bit of chemistry with working with him, actually. Um, and, uh, and of course, it was a great intro into the movie business, because when you're working with a director, you, you really are hands-on, if you know what I mean. And, and it, it, But, yeah. but working with Billy was always a real pleasure, and he was uh, treated us really well. And you know, he's a very articulate and intelligent person, and you know, um, you, you learn a lot of stuff from him. And, uh, yeah. and we, we're still in contact. Actually, I, I spoke to him last week, and uh, you know, he's uh, he's doing a lot of work directing opera at the moment, which is sort of fascinating, you know. And uh, so we're hoping to get to, to see some of his work in that direction
0: next year. That's great. I know a lot of people when they talk about that movie, it's been you know, it's been out for almost twenty five years now. When they remember it, uh, they remember the music more than the movie. Mm, and yeah. Well, I mean... I mean, it's a great movie, but I mean, yeah. I mean, when, when you say to live and die in L.A., I mean, the first thing that comes to, to most uh, minds of people I talk to is the, be- the very beginning notes uh, of the title track. I mean, yeah, it's, it's so yeah. iconic.
1: Yeah. No, I think it, it, it does make a big statement, that, you know. It was interesting, a couple of years ago, I, went, um, I, I got this uh, lovely request to write something about the music in Freakin's films, sort of generally, for a retrospective that was being held in Turin, in uh, Torino, in Italy. And so I wrote this little piece about the music, and uh, And Bill phoned me up and said, I've oh, seen the piece, it's amazing. Why don't you come to the festival and, and hang out? So, so we did that. So um, that was the last time I spent a big chunk of time with him. We had a sort of week at this film festival. But it was very interesting uh, having these uh, sort of Italian film people, you know, chatting with him, and, uh, and to live in L.A., they, they use that, I mean, they say they do, and I'm sure they do, uh, use it, you know, in the film schools over there because it's such an unusual um, sort of vision of Los Angeles, you know, that you get in that movie, and it is shot absolutely beautifully, you know, um, I can't remember the name of the cameraman now that he used on that movie, but it was a guy that had worked with, uh, I think, Bergman on, on some stuff. Oh, and, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It was a- the most extraordinary looking film and when i spoke to billy last week he said they've just released it on uh, or they've just uh, completed remastering it for blu-ray and he said it looks and sounds better than ever so so that's
0: very cool i think yeah the um it's kind of odd that i mean points on the curve is to me um the entry point for you guys and it's your Uh it's your second album but i mean literally i mean i mean it also spawns dance hall days which of course became a big mtv hit um, how much how much of an impact did MTV had on, have on the band in the early days?
1: Well, uh, I think we weren't really. or Speaking personally, you know, I, I didn't really understand how massive MTV was going to be in its impact on the music business and on the way people sort of consumed music, if you like. So, I think certainly the fact that Wang Chung videos were in heavy rotation on in the very first years of MTV uh, is a large reason why a Wang Chung. A well-known in the U.S. and far less known in the U.K. Uh, because obviously MTV didn't arrive here until a good four or five years later, I don't think. So MTV, uh, you know, much as I kind of feel in a way it was the beginning of the end <laughs> for the music business, uh, I don't want to bite the hand that still feeds me in many ways. You know, um, and and certainly it was uh, for us. It was the most amazing way of projecting the music into into people's. Minds and uh, living rooms.
0: <laughs> yeah. it sort of really it really helped a lot too with the, with the single. Everybody have fun tonight. Have fun tonight.
1: tonight. Yeah, I mean I, I, I like that video. I mean obviously at, at the time everybody was absolutely obsessed with the Peter Gabriel video, the Sledgehammer. You know, so everybody. Was and um we got to work with Kevin Godley and Lloyd Crane on that video. And they I think they, they came up with a really cool sort of alternative to the sort of garishness of the Gabriel video by, you know, making it in this just this sort of wooden box basically and uh, and and then just cutting the, the various takes of us performing the song into this one continuous thing, you know. It's, it's a simple idea, you know, but obviously quite often the simple ideas are the ones that really make the impressive uh,
0: end product. Right. And of course, um, you know, after that, after Mosaic comes, um, the warmer side of cool. Mm. It, was there a lot of pressure on you when you were making that album to like replicate the success of Mosaic?
1: Yeah. Um, I guess there was an expectation, you know, to sort of deliver another hit. And, uh, I think, uh, I in particular was really resisted <laughs> pressure <laughs> and, uh, sort of wanted, wanted to make a, a much more sort of kind of arty record if you like. But, um, I must say, in retrospect, of all of the sort of, well, four Geffen albums and uh, and the Arista album as well, that's the one that I feel least, uh, I, I really don't enjoy listening to that record. I don't, I don't think we had the chemistry right at all on that record, you know. Uh, there are some good aspirations, maybe, but, uh, but it feels a bit uncomfortable. Um, whereas, I think, points on the curve and to live and die in a and, and Mosaic as well, you know, they have a kind of, uh, uh, everything's moving in, a, in, a, in the same direction on the album and, and it works well.
0: I want to fast forward to 2005 for a second um, yeah. the TV show the reality TV show uh, hit me baby one more time came to you guys and uh, yeah. asked you to reunite what was that like
1: that was funny you know uh, you know the request comes through on it. And obviously you know uh, Nick at that time was still I think working you know in a and R uh, when there was a music business you know? uh, and uh, I was uh, doing all the stuff I'd do you know and um, so that this sort of request comes through and, um, I think we just I sort of thought, well, why not? You know, I'm sure we'll think of something. And I actually uh, remember having a conversation with Chris Hughes, who's a good friend of mine and who produced Dance All Days and Points on the Curve, you know. And uh, I read about this list of songs that they suggested that we might want to do as the cover, you know. And he immediately said, do hot in here, you know. And I was like, are you mad? <laughs> he was like, no, Hot in Here. you'll sing it great. You know, I mean, that'll be brilliant. So I kind of did this uh, little demo here at home, uh, which sort of became the basis, really, of the final track that we did. And, uh, and Nick was into it, and they loved it on the show. And it's become this slightly weird little uh, cult thing, you know.
0: It's getting hot in here. So take off all your clothes.
1: It's getting hot in here. So take off all your clothes.
0: Rumor has it that there's a new album in the works. What's this? status? yeah. What's the
1: yeah. Status? I mean, I write all the time. Um, I mean, over the last couple of years, uh, I've been working more with with sort of jazz musicians uh, here in Canterbury and and in London as well. And I've released a couple of uh, sort of... well, to call them jazz records is probably not quite... The quartet. Accurate, the quartet, yeah. Yeah. It's a sort of hybrid thing, you know, and it's something the albums I've done with Chris Hughes. uh, And and I'm very proud of them. I love them, actually. I think they're a really interesting hybrid of sort of jazz and sort of prog. (laughs) and a bit of classical stuff thrown in in places as well, you know. Um, but alongside of that as well, you know, songs come out here and there, and, uh, and the new Wang Chung album is really just uh, uh, a sense of selecting the best the songs that I've written and, and, uh, and the best of the songs that Nick has been doing recently as well, and and trying to put something out there that's new, and I think uh, it's, a, it's got some really great quality work on it, actually some of our best work, I think.
0: Um, will we hear any of them on the uh, Regeneration tour?
1: one of the tunes. Uh, we have limited time on the tour, obviously, so um, we'll have to sort of see how things go, but uh, but I'd certainly love to be doing this new tune
0: on the tour. What? Uh, which of your hits are not going to make the cut on the uh, Regeneration Tour for the set list? Yes, I guess Hypnotize Me isn't on the set list. Oh, come on, Jack. Come yeah, on. Yeah. Please, please. It's very high. And <laughs> <laughs> it's very high to seeing Hypnotize Me. No, that's one of my... We, I'm, I'm building a... Uh, I'm p- going to put a top five list of uh, Wang Chung songs after the interview on the podcast, and... I'm thinking about putting "Hypnotize Me" at number two. Okay,
1: <laughs> you want, might want to move it to number four or something. You know?
0: <laughs> uh, that's a great but, one. Uh,
1: but most of the other hits are there. Uh, what we're going to do to live and die, but we're going to do it in a sort of like stripped down acoustic kind of version, uh, which is kind of nice. Uh, I think people will hear that song maybe in a slightly different way. You know, but uh, but everything else is pretty much uh, just you know. Hopefully, like a really good presentation of those old, old tunes, uh, plus uh, plus one of the new ones.
0: I can't wait to see it. I'm really looking forward to the show in Chicago.
1: Great, yeah. I, I feel really excited about it. You know, if you'd spoken to me a couple of weeks ago before I'd rehearsed with the band, I'd have been uh, a little more cautious. I think, but uh, but it is a rocking band and great people. You know, so I think you'll see us having a great time, and hopefully, you guys will have a great time too.